Welcome to Constantinople, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. This is Kate Gilbert, head of school, and I am here with Dr. John Mark Reynolds, our president. Hello. Uh, joining us today is also Dr. Stacy, our provost. Hello there. And Megan Muller, our director of You're communications so today, and Bob. marketing. Hello. <laughs> I'm the chatty one. Obviously, you and I, Kate, are going to be mostly talking. So today, we're just catching up a little bit. It's been about a year and a half to two years since our last podcast. It's true. Uh, what have we been busy. doing? Who knows? What, is, what, what have we been doing? Head of schools, Kate Gilbert, what have we been doing? So the, the St. Constantine School is um, four years old as far as how many years we've been educating students, five years old, as an institution. And, five, five um, will make us five. Cinco de Mayo is our birthday, <laughs> officially. It's our mm-hmm. golden birthday. Yeah. And we have 2020 vision. On five five <laughs> in twenty twenty, yeah, yeah. it's it's so cheesy that somebody somewhere will like do a big, that. Like bell. <laughs> oh, would that be awesome? Yeah, outside, we have doubled our student population since our first year, Yikes. and I think more than doubled our staff population. But I actually haven't calculated that in quite a while. So, the community around Saint Constantine has grown quite a bit, as well as sort of all the many places that we are investing our time in. And so, we have sorry, sports teams, podcast. right? I, I, this week I was at a volleyball mm-hmm. uh, game and our ladies volleyball team was playing and doing well and growing. We have an athletic director. <laughs> yeah, ladies volleyball just finished their season um, and men's basketball started practices this week. And we're about to graduate our first college students. So I know that when we talked way, way, way back when, and we talked about K through 16, people, I'm sure, thought that that was kind of crazy. But it's all occurring. I think the only thing we're not doing is a preschool but from we are the original. Pre-K. Through yeah. 16. So right. I think our youngest student is four, and then we have a nursery for faculty. Yeah, our, our faculty nursery has 11 children in it. So that's our, a section. It is. It's like a whole <laughs> class section into itself. I think our youngest at this point is probably about eight months old. Yeah, I, I, I so would eight say eight months to 26. That's it, our student range. <laughs> I know that you guys have talked about it, and I think I was on a podcast about it before, but I was talking to Megan, and I think the thing I totally didn't anticipate. So, if I'm the first employee and I'm sitting there with a yellow legal pad, this is John Mark Reynolds, and I'm the president planning things out, our philosophy of play, mm-hmm, right, though I agreed right. with it, was kind of this inchoate thing in my head. I wouldn't have articulated it well. Kate, between you and Megan, hundreds of thousands of dollars that donors have helped us raise in a natural playground and the things like that. I I wondered if either of you wanted to talk about that because yes, we're doing K through 16. Yes, it's orthodox Mm -hmm. first and foremost. Yes, it's classical as the way that the Orthodox Church expresses education. No big surprise there. Sure. You know, Bob Stacy has done that kind of thing. I've done that kind of thing. You both have done that kind of thing. But this philosophy of play has really, I think, taken our community by storm in a good way. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's continued. This was surprising. I think, you know, Kate's had this experience giving tours on our campus. There's always a bit of a like shock and awe moment when we take people to our That's playground right. and garden, <laughs> which is funny because it is humble. People are really um, captivated and then later challenged by the chickens. Yes, the strong, the strong sense of encouraging risk and allowing students to be truly in tune with nature. That includes like catching animals and being covered in mud and feeding chickens and cleaning out their 
poop and you know all the all the things that we let kids do that people are like wow that's so great that's how I was raised or that's how my parents were raised and that seems so important and then when the rubber hits the road they go but they're so very dirty are you sure they should be touching that you know all of that kind of thing and so but from an outside perspective I think almost unanimously it's like a thunderbolt you know people hear the idea they see it in action and they say of course this is what everyone should be doing and the practice of it is challenging but it is as I wrote recently in an email to all of our faculty, I'm just sort of renewing our common resolve to continue to facilitate this kind of play. It's very hard work to do that as a teacher. It's very hard to watch all the students the appropriate amount of carefully. It's very hard to know all the students and their limitations so That's that you right. can say kid by kid what is and isn't okay. <clears throat> we avoid blanket rules, but that means that we have to do a lot more work. But as with many things in life, it turns out the easier thing for adults is very infrequently the best thing for children. Mm-hmm. That is so true. <laughs> and so, that is something that I would say applies to basically everything we do yes, here, yeah. that it, it frequently is not the easiest, most streamlined way for adults, but it's because that's the best thing for kids. Mm-hmm. So if you're my age, namely old, I had a friend say, <laughs> uh, look, what you've built, you're talking about it looking humble, is a West Virginia front yard minus the truck tire planter painted orange. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. Yeah, but then you realize people don't have front yards anymore. Right, Uh, right. Provost, I mean, you grew up in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're trying to recreate in some ways a situation that maybe even you experienced. Sure, yeah. You know, kids were often a little more free range, right? They they weren't confined to a concrete and plastic playground. They, you know, they they had to explore and begin to understand their world. And we try to recreate that a little bit here. Mm Mm-hmm. Raising children in Houston, as as I am and, and Megan is, our children are very small right now, but our neighbor, I live in a, a neighborhood that's all families, and yet you never see unsupervised children of any sort, even right. though it's a very safe area. Yeah. Statistically, if you do any sort of objective research, children are much safer to be unsupervised in our modern climate than they've ever nobody been. Nobody believes that. But, but nobody so can, true. yeah, they, they can't feel it in their hearts. And right. so, and they just don't allow it to happen. And so it's yeah. it's really wonderful for me as a parent as I see my 2-year-old getting to be about 3, he's spending a lot more time outside here and it's just so good for him. I know I really appreciate it. It's a funny thing about our school. It I would say is the number one most universally exciting thing to potential parents. When they come in to our school property, they go on an admissions tour and they see the children playing. We talk to them about how our our students get over an hour of outside free play a day if they're in elementary school, which is what the um, American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. As the minimum? As the minimum, and they estimate that the average school child is getting seven minutes. So um, when we when a parent now, sees you should those, repeat that because yeah. that's worth hearing. It's pretty shocking. It's it, totally shocking. The recommendation not, from pediatricians is over an hour as a minimum, and the average child is getting seven minutes of outdoor play a day. And that's not seven minutes at school. That's seven minutes of school and at home combined. Yeah. Like just at in the their day, mm-hmm. they're getting seven minutes, which means that if they go to public school. Maybe that's where they're getting their seven minutes, mm-hmm. or maybe they're not, and they're getting, you know, and yeah, it's, it's well, just Well, so we had a, a kind of a funny parent uh, um, testimonial last week. Houston is, of course, a very, very hot place to live. and Except we had when our, it's very cold. Yeah, well, we had our first fall day, yes. like last week, and it was 65 <laughs> to 70. Yeah, yeah. Right. 65 to 70 degrees during the day, but it was overcast. 
The students the reported back to their parents that it snowed. <laughs> um, but she's she had a friend on her Facebook, which I got to see. She wrote about the kids, kind of, oh, funny kids. Like, you know, I forgot to send them a sweater. They told me it snowed. It's so great that they got to play outside anyways. A friend said that their Texas public school kept the students inside because it was 60 degrees out. Oh, my goodness. That's just sad. We are very, <laughs> we are, we are, we are very concerned for their safety, and so we need to keep them inside. Yeah, the other they're safer. Degrees. The other not <laughs> having any physical activity whatsoever. The, In reality, that's not true, right? It is. right. Literally, as right. adults, they will not be prepared for what they right. need to be. They also won't be healthy. Yeah, mm-hmm. they'll have heart disease yes. and obesity and all the other brittle bones and yes. you know. No oxygen in their bloodstream. All the things that happen or to you. Or some things we don't even think about. Students are bad at balance. Yes. Sure. They're, mm-hmm. You know, sure. some of these really basic things that make an adult fall down less to be super, super basic. We're not giving them the skills to well, uh, stand upright. Right. Hope and I have <laughs> chosen to live across the street because we like doing that. But we live inside a gated area to make it safer. Mm-hmm. And the sad thing for us is we never see kids riding bikes, mm. even though our neighborhood totally gated. is chock-a-block yeah. full of kids. We have many amenities that the community has put in for kids to play with and a swimming pool. But if Hope and I go in a really hot day, so 90-some degrees, and we're swimming, maybe there'll be one or two kids with their parents, you know, always carefully supervised uh, there. And my childhood would have been, we would have been all over, uh, how far can I ride my bike from home? I wasn't allowed to cross a major street. That was the rule when I was a little kid. So that's, that's sad for me. Uh, The other thing I wondered if you guys would comment on, because it would be new to people, we've seen kids graduate from high school here and go to college. Mm -hmm. And I was really pleased. We had a marathon for our college students that some of our high school students came to. And our high school students saw our teachers saw a real difference in growth in our college students. Mm -hmm. And I can report that our high school students are some of the best I've ever dealt with at a college level. I mostly teach, entirely teach college classes really here. And they're outstandingly well-prepared. They go to the next level. We've sent students to places like Rice and UT, in addition to our college program here, uh, where they have accelerated and done really well. I wondered if you could comment on that or the transition from middle school to high school Mm -hmm. or elementary school Mm -hmm. to middle school. We've done all those things now, and we can report back how it went. This is one of those disadvantages of being new, right? You don't have a history. Right. 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 And so people say, well, where is it going to work? Yeah. And where <laughs> have your students gone to college? Well, they haven't because they're too young, you know. Right. Um, but so now after four years, we're starting to get this year. We will, as Dr. Reynolds mentioned, graduate our first group of college students. We've been very lucky to graduate high schoolers every year. But this year is the first year where these high schoolers entered as freshmen. So we're responsible for their entire high school education, which is just kind of an exciting landmark. I guess the report from the front is uh, we're still alive, Uh, (laughs) thanks to super generous donors. And I, I actually don't say that in, oh, I have to say that kind of way. We've been really blessed to work with people that like what we're doing, understand what we're doing, and have been incredibly supportive Mm -hmm. uh, of the mission and seeing the mission grow. We've not had to grow too quickly. Mm -hmm. I believe that if we had the building space, we could have opened our doors and hundreds more students would have flooded in. Mm -hmm. But we haven't had to do that. We haven't had to dilute the DNA. Bob, you've been in Involved in a lot of projects, including startup colleges, more or less. Uh, more than one. Yeah. What's yeah? What's the report from the front? Well, I am amazed at the at the progress. 
starting institutions is hard work, and uh, you often don't see the fruits quickly, right? Usually, it's we need to be patient. And of course, we still have lots to do. We have patience should be had, right? But, but just in the, the, the these first four years, you can really see the impact we're having on students uh, as our students have some have made it into the you know over to the college and and and, and seeing them in action versus what they were as high school students, you can see the growth. It's tangible. You went kayaking. I we guess. did, yeah, last weekend. <laughs> no, it was so our, much fun. The sound engineer, you were not kayaking, or did you go kayaking? He did. He did not go. Oh, the sound engineer. He doesn't want to be involved with us. To comment on anything. Yeah. <laughs> In any case, uh, how was that? That was. It's fabulous to sort of get outside. The, so. If, if if outdoor play is important when you're in you know mm. elementary school, it still remains important mm-hmm. in college. Yeah. yeah, and and not just play now, but you know doing things together that are hard and that challenge us and and cause us to maybe work together towards a common goal. You that's that's golden out there. I, I think it's also it's a positive and negative. Who's making it? Who's not? Who is grasping the dialectic, which is a way of living. Sure. And so we say a phrase like the dialectic, and I think uh, if. They're not careful. People will think in Hegelian terms, if anyone's out there thinking Lord, in no. Hegelian terms, come apply for work here because that's awesome. <laughs> you're uh, rare. <laughs> you're rare. You're a rarity. I think when we say the dialectic, it doesn't mean anything, mostly. It's a buzzword in educational circles. What do I mean by it? It's living a life full of wonder where you're wondering all the time. Mm-hmm. You're confronting things. You're looking at God's world and it's wonderful and you wonder about it. And sometimes it's not wonderful and you wonder about that too. But that requires being outside. Plato himself has Socrates leave the city uh, several times working on a dialogue with the college students today, the freshmen, where Socrates leaves the city. Why? He can't do discussion inside the turmoil of the city. He needs to sit under a plane tree Mm -hmm. and listen to cicadas make their really loud noise (laughs) and have a discussion. Oddly, everybody knows all of this. And so you say this to people and they take for granted. Well, of course we're doing that. But we've become so regimented. Mm -hmm. Even in rural schools, often you see kids without recess. Mm -hmm. And I don't get it. And the idea of a college student as party city is really a misnomer. There are party schools you can go to. There are party subcultures at all schools. Most college students that I deal with or work with when I travel are burned out. They never have fun. They're pre-programmed for morning, noon, and night. And they don't have time to ask the big questions that uh, students don't always agree with me and they'll get in fights that are four hours long after class about different issues in the church, the world, uh, the way the world should be. Most college students don't have time for that because they're jumping through hoops. We um, recorded a podcast right before this that will actually be published after this one, talking a little bit about the marathon and our 30 hours of discussion that we devoted to Plato's Republic as a faculty in college. Mm -hmm. But kind of as a side uh, to that, discussion, we ended up talking a little bit about the nature of leisure and the kind of enriching leisure that the marathon ends up being. Yes. And it's something that I think many of us have been thinking about a lot. Starting a school is unbelievably exhausting. (laughs) And I feel like in this year, we're starting to get little glimpses of like, getting to take a deep breath in and <laughs> go kayaking sure. or yeah. do it. the marathon, yeah. start to think about our own leisurely habits as mm-hmm. something that we can use to enrich our lives. And that's been a, and a huge relief to me. But we're seeing it in the patterns of our faculty, try, too, trying to give them those opportunities to sit and 
do an activity that's still rich and enlivening, but is in fact a leisurely activity like discussing a text. I hadn't thought about that before, but I think what we're doing right now counts as yes. having been a startup so. and you know trimmed the fat and done essential <laughs> projects for uh -huh. a few years. We're being able to sort of open up those opportunities because I do consider this, though it is work, <laughs> to be an enjoyable discussion right. where That's we get right. to think about ideas and are refreshed and, and yeah, maybe it's a pleasant part of the job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's exactly what you were just saying, Kate, like us resurrecting, getting Some back on, getting things. back on the horse with the podcast is kind of, I think something we could count as yes. an opportunity. And we're going to be hearing a lot more faculty voices here mm -hmm. as well. I think there's a lot more of that springing up. Um, John Mark wrote a play, uh, Dr. Reynolds is mm -hmm. yeah. uh, first in the Constantine cycle. So some of our faculty and some of our college students will be performing that this semester. It's yep, a play Pearl about, Harbor Day. Yeah. It's a play about St. Elizabeth, the new martyr. She's one of the namesakes of the four noble houses of the St. Constantine School. Um, so, you know, there are just more and more opportunities like that cropping up on campus. I, I so miss being able to do that. But clearly, you know, when you're the president of a startup, you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But I realized, you know, our three seniors or the three students, we have one accelerated junior that are graduating this year. If I wanted to work with them at all yeah. or write a play that they could be part of, yeah, yeah I had uh, two semesters left to do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a good thing. And mm -hmm. I made time. Mm -hmm. It's interesting I have so many college alumni. At some point, I'd like to point out that hopefully college, a liberal arts college, undergraduate college, not the grad school you went to to specialize or the major if you were a nurse and you became a doctor, but the liberal arts part of college should have taught you to play well, mm -hmm. uh, to take whatever free yes. time you have. And please do have free time. Please don't work 80, 90 mm -hmm. hours a week. And part of that playtime, as far as I can tell, is discussing a great book well with friends. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, people keep asking me, couldn't we do this instead or that instead? Well, we've been working on that for 3,000 years now, <laughs> and nobody has come up with an alternative mm -hmm. to, if it wasn't a, a book, to a manuscript or a Homeric epic. I suppose someone could perform a Homeric epic for you, and you could discuss it. And hopefully our college students or our high school students who go somewhere else will have gotten bitten by the bug of doing that so that they're like my wife. My wife sets up, even though she's first lady here, she would do this anyway and did beforehand. She has a group of women who get together, the Wonder Women, and they read a book, sometimes a really serious book, sometimes a not so serious book, and discuss it. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like that. And I have to say, as Christians who have been given the best book of all, a collection of books, the Bible, to read and discuss, it's hard to know how we could avoid doing this as just part of our life, but also as our life of leisure. Mm -hmm. uh, does that stir any thoughts in anybody? I mean, is this dispensable? I can't figure out how. Now, this seems like this is one of the best things we can do for our students, mm -hmm. right, is to prepare them for that and model it for them. Mm -hmm. We were talking a little bit about this. Um, we have a faculty choir, and then as Megan just mentioned, we, we have faculty participating in a play. We had a college faculty, uh, Dr. Stacy, going kayaking with the students. These are ways that we do what we ask them to do, yeah. but also we get to do right. what yeah, we right. ask them to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, if I were listening to this, I'd say, well, that's great. You guys get paid to do that. Mm -hmm. and, and I get that pointed out to me all the time. Can I just say that lots of college professors – don't bother to do this sort of thing because they do get paid to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get paid to lead a discussion on Plato's Phaedrus. I'm going to go do it at one o'clock. I did the marathon in my free time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
because I wanted to. Mm -hmm. You couldn't pay me to do that. I love my weekends. I love being with Hope. I have lots of cool yes. stuff we could have done. And it was actually because Professor Geyer, who modeled this for us so long, uh, had passed away. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do it in a painful sense, like on a personal level. It was, it was difficult to have Naomi come down and I actually used his copy of The Republic. But I wanted to do it mm -hmm. because it's a deeply passionate part of who we are. So I had to make time to do it. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of that, we have a fellow alumni of Tori. Hi, Christine. Who is, hi, Christine. Yes, hi, Christine, indeed. <laughs> She's an aerospace engineer at NASA. but she An takes, actual rocket yeah, scientist. An actual rocket <laughs> scientist. But she takes time to join us for a Shakespeare discussion when she can or she joined the Wonder Houston Women Corral, you know, so that she can be singing. Yes. With the symphony. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, She's so. doing yoga. I'm very impressed by <laughs> Christine. If, if you're Christine, busier, we, we admire you. If you're busier than a NASA rocket scientist <laughs> right. uh, who's working on the International Space Station in one capacity or another, you're too busy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so very fulfilling, uh, nominated for awards kind of career. But I can say as one of her college professors, Man, that's how you hope people turn out. Right. Yeah. Very right. involved in the church, very involved in the dialectic, this kind of life of wonder. And shouldn't we all aspire mm -hmm. to that? I aspire to be Christine, actually, as I think <laughs> about it. What else has changed about our school? Uh, we're running out of room. We're, whoa, oh, we're stuffed right. to the gills. Oh. I've forgotten. Oh, wait. Yeah. No, I didn't. We're sitting right now in my office. Yeah, very, podcasting. Very close together. Yes. Uh, your office, in fact, is a pretty good example of how we're Glorified stuffed to the, storage to the gills. Unit. Yeah. Yeah, you have probably the aesthetically most pleasing office when it gets to be your office, <laughs> but it's mostly storage space uh, for all the marketing materials yes. and lost and found clothing yes yeah that too mm -hmm. I, aren't you sitting on lost and found clothing <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm next to a large crinkly bag that i'm trying very hard not to touch so i i often am asked well why don't you guys just quit growing we liked you at 115 or we liked you at 150 and i think there are three reasons for that but i'll give them fast first of all there are lots of people in Houston who need strong classical mm -hmm. Orthodox Christian education. That's right. Second of all, there is a size at which you're not financially viable. Mm -hmm. I hate to get down to money, but we don't want to turn anyone away for an ability to pay, which so far we've managed to do. But at some point, you got to be a certain size to support adequate programs so that people want to come. Mm -hmm. And then the third truth is that we've actually grown as slowly as possible mm -hmm. while maintaining DNA. But we all need colleagues. Yeah. Right? When you start with one kindergarten teacher, who does the kindergarten teacher talk to? We started with, what, three people really involved in the college, and we just added a yeah. fourth, yeah. fifth, sixth. I mean, there are lots of people involved. Sure. Uh, college isn't three faculty members or four faculty. Everybody's a faculty member of the college looked at one way. But we need colleagues. We need people that I can discuss Plato with mm -hmm. who can knock me around a little bit. And the students need that, too. That's right. Yes. That's um, right. We actually thought a lot about what size provides the most healthy community of peers for our students. And it's not 100 kids in most cases. Sometimes yeah. some individual students thrive in those really small environments. But the majority of children need a good group of kids around them to find their friends because kids are really different. And so if you happen to be the one guy who loves Dungeons and Dragons and everybody else is just into basketball, you're kind of out of luck. Yes. And when you get to be a high school. Or of you're the even, one guy who loves basketball and everybody else loves Dungeons right, and Dragons. Maybe that's yeah. a little more likely <laughs> yeah. at our school. But 
Um, when you get to be a high school, um, which our goal size is somewhere around 120, 150, something in like the high that school. in the high school alone. Yeah. We're not um, talking land of the giants, well, yeah, right? This is not a huge school. Yeah. We'll, we'll always be a small school graduating between 30 and 45 students at the most. So this is still a very small school, but between 30 and 45, you're very likely to find a friend. You're likely that in a school of 120 high schoolers, you have robust sports teams and clubs and a theater department and a choir. So giving our students these opportunities to really pursue what they love. It also allows us, I mean, you know, we're talking about expansion, expansion, but we're doing that without sacrificing any of the ideals that we believe strongly about the way that education needs to look. So we're talking about a high school of 120 students. Mm -hmm. Does that mean four grade levels where there are 30 kids in each classroom? No, we're not (laughs) packing. We're not suddenly saying, well, student-teacher ratio, we'll just throw that out. We need more students. Pack them in. Let's get that money. We're still um, maintaining that low student-teacher ratio because we believe the the work in the classroom Mm -hmm. needs to be that sort of highly individualistic, close relationship. And all of those things we believe, and so far we've been right, are things that we're able to accomplish while expanding. Yes. Um, Something, uh, John Mark, that you say sometimes that always makes me laugh a little, but now it rings so true to me, is that we don't want to be too precious about (laughs) ourselves. And part of that is saying we are in the golden age of our school. And 120 kids is the perfect number. And (laughs) we like ourselves this way. And so we need to stay this way. Um, There's always that tendency to want to look back with the rosy colored lenses. Um, And I think everybody does that. Like I can say this hilariously as as a graduate of an undergrad program that had been around for a long time before I got there. But if you ask people my age like when the golden age of that program was it's the first few years you're a student by the time you're a senior you're like these young ones have no idea what they're doing they're ruining everything we stand for and that's everyone's experience because the more the more invested you get in something um even though it's been around way longer than you've been around the more you feel like your initial experience with it was it in its best form yeah Yeah, and we as i think as people who are like helping run the school that can be a tendency Mm -hmm. too you can look back and say oh you remember the good old days when this was going on now most of our good old days stories are like hilarious ones about catastrophes (laughs) and you know hurricane harvey and you know those that kind of good old days story but i think we also um we're trying to balance knowing we live in a giant city mm-hmm. that has the number has the student body mm-hmm. like the numbers to support this kind of school but also we believe desperately needs needs this kind of school um without getting too prideful in that area, but also not being so prideful that we're like, we are this pristine little jewel and we're precious (laughs) and we are going to save, protect ourselves. We're not going to let in new students Mm -hmm. at upper grade levels. We're not going to, you know, you have to come in with us as a young person and we're going to form you and you're going to be perfect. And we're going to make sure you're advanced in every, you know, at every level. And we're not going to hire new people because everybody here is these are the only people that could possibly do this work. Um, As we look at our city and our state, and our country we look and we say the work we do here has a stopping as far as growth goes like we know that right and we want to work to that and we have an idea of what that looks like but that doesn't mean that this kind of project needs to turn inward and just look inward at itself so closely that you stop acknowledging the value of working outside of your little environment The other issue is we are first and foremost an Orthodox school. We're organized around the Orthodox Church, and however well or badly we do that, and we're always working on it, people have to remember, one, we have to grow, and two, we've grown slowly for this reason. There aren't 
any K through 16 schools in the world. So that mm -hmm. we have to do carefully <laughs> and figure out how, how does an Orthodox person do that? How does a group that ministers to everyone as the Orthodox always have as equal partners do that? But then secondly, uh, K through 12 in the United States for the Orthodox Church um, hasn't been a big focus. Now, mm -hmm. there are scores of K through eight schools, K through six schools, preschools, but they're often just organized on a public school model with maybe Greek language and Hellenistic culture thrown in. Yeah. Awesome. Great. God bless the people involved. But what if we step back and said, all right, St. Basil gave us a mandate for Christian <laughs> higher education mm. for sure. And then also the Eastern Romans gave us a model for primary school and secondary school education. What does that look like when you don't have an emperor paying the bill? The answer is, I don't know for sure yet. We don't know for sure yet, but we're working hard on it. And we know better four years later what that looks like. And people like Bishop Thomas have been really encouraging us to go other places and help those places look at this kind of more deeper, thoughtful way. Oddly, it means not looking like a monastery because mm -hmm. that's not what the Orthodox do. Second, it, it means not only having Orthodox faculty or students. I mean, not everybody sitting around here discussing today is Orthodox. But think about the university founded in Lebanon in the middle of the Lebanese Civil War mm -hmm. by the Patriarch of Antioch, the Balamond University, uh, began its first day during the Lebanese Civil War with Islamic scholars in the math department. Mm -hmm. And uh, Islamic Orthodox dialogue as central to the feature of that very Orthodox institution. We can't just imitate that. We're not in Lebanon. We're in the United States. How does this work in our context? That's been another thing that mm -hmm. both growing slowly mm -hmm. relative to what we could do mm -hmm. in a city the size of Houston, staying small, <coughs> uh, but also growing so we can get the critical mass to offer Arabic. I doubt there's another K-12 through school in Houston that offers Arabic language lessons. If there is, it's certainly not formed around Christian Arabic. Mm -hmm. And so these are all things that seem small, but are real issues that people can pray for us about. Mm -hmm. Something else that's cropped up, maybe we can talk about this briefly, is just in the last few years, especially from the very beginning, and we were shocked by this before we had a single student, people were coming to us and asking us how we were doing what we were doing because they were interested in doing similar things. But in the last few years, maybe since the last time our listeners heard from us, <laughs> Um, that has really exploded. We have been hearing from members of the Orthodox community. We've been hearing from members of, you know, many other branches of, of Christianity who are trying to run and start schools or trying to think about what they can do in their community because they see the needs of their community and they think those yes. will be filled by a school. And we've just, without working to become this, you know, I think I think the humility here is a key component. We, in the last few years, have really become a resource for other people who were thinking about how to do education yes. well. I know Kate, I mean, the, everyone else sitting around this table uh, especially has been involved in that. But Kate, can you talk a little bit about like what's happened in the last few years as far as the people that are reaching out to you and the direction those things seem to be moving? Yeah, so we, we've had lots of visitors to campus, oftentimes heads of schools or even some people who are about to start a school and really wanting to see what it is that we're doing that has been successful. And so that's it's been a real honor to host those colleagues and friends and kind of show them what we're doing. I think we're also working together to 
sort of pool our human resources. And we at St. Constantine are very blessed to be in the position where we have always received many more applicants for any open position that we have at the school than we could possibly hire. And so getting to pass some of those really qualified applicants on to other schools has been a good thing that we're able to do. But we also have a plan for reaching more people and assisting those people. But I think you should talk about that. Oh. Partly because we've had so much interest from around, really around the country. People will fly in. We've been jokingly calling it edutourism, not because, not to disparage this, these relationships that we're forming, but because we are really sort of a destination. People will come to visit. They'll stay for a few days. They'll be sitting in, in hours of meetings. They want to walk around campus. We jokingly talk about drinking the Kool-Aid. In the best way possible, they, they really want to immerse themselves in what we're doing here because they're interested in... For many people, it's lots of different things. Some people, it's because they're interested in how we are so strongly an Orthodox Christian institution, and yet we appeal so well to families of many faith backgrounds. Um, or no faith at all. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. How we get away with doing the kind of play that we do on our campus. Why we slow down English language acquisition mm -hmm. so that our lower school students, when they, as they learn to read, are learning to read and comprehend and spell uh, simultaneously rather than learning to parrot English language without being able to understand the content. All these choices that we've made as a school, lots of those different little choices add up to being a, a little bit of a strange place and people are very attracted to coming and, and seeing and experiencing and hearing those things. We also are a true startup mm -hmm. and so the nuts and bolts of how we've managed to do what we've managed to do in five years is a story that people are interested in hearing mm -hmm. and because of the amount of interest that we've had in those things we after you know several years of sort of talking this group talking about what we could do to make sure that we were doing our part to share our experiences. Um, you talked about pooling human resources, Kate. Mm -hmm. The will is there, and but sometimes you know the funding isn't, or the you know, the amount of manpower people would need, and they don't want to reinvent the wheel. And we don't want to make people do that. This isn't some of the things we do. Maybe we would say are proprietary, but the the thing we're doing, we don't want to be proprietary. Right, we want right. we want to be able to share it with everyone. And um, as we thought about the best way to do that, it took a few years of kind of thinking, oh, maybe it's time, maybe it's time, but we've decided it's time, mm -hmm. and we're going to uh, host our first annual conference this summer. So um, 2020. I, I love having a first annual. Yes. <laughs> well, we're going to have to, I think we're, you know, we're going to have to do it every year, but yeah. this is the first time. We, we're imagining. Our long tradition. That's right. That's conferences. right. That's right. We're, we're, we're imagining a conference where people who are interested in getting sort of getting a behind the scenes look at the nuts and bolts of running a school can come and hear as much as they want to hear from the people who have been uh, instrumental in that. So mm -hmm. if you want to come and hear about, you know, um, structuring a budget and um, how to create your handbook and all these kinds of nuts and bolt things that only people who are in education administration would even know to care about. Um, we can help you with those things. But if you are um, seeking direction for, I just had someone come visit the campus because their church is going to try to build a playground and they want, they're interested in pursuing the model that we've chosen. There are lots of people who are interested in lots of different parts of our school for many different reasons. And we want to create a place where those people can all come to learn and share with each other and share with us and then get our feedback and hear what we do. But we also want to sort of create for everyone else who isn't a student, who could never possibly go to school here, who doesn't live in Houston, who's not a parent of small children, all of those people. We want to create 
a conference where the, everyone can come to get what we have achieved on our campus, mm -hmm. which is a real harmonious community of learners who care about pursuing the good, who care about beauty, who care about growing in knowledge and faith. And that applies to, as a mission of the Orthodox Church, we, we truly do believe that that's something that we want to model at, at a conference for other people. So we do it here on campus every day. Our faculty is diverse. We're all committed Christians, but we come from a number of faith traditions. Our student body is even more diverse than that as far mm -hmm. as the family backgrounds sure. that they come from. And we want to be the thing that we are for each other. We think we have an opportunity to be for the rest of our country. Yes, that's and right. that's what we want to do at the conference. Are, are we able to say, as an Orthodox person, there are a couple of lay people, obviously Bishop Thomas and Bishop Basil. Bishop Basil, of course, chairs our board, in fact that have been very involved in guiding us, telling us what to do in spiritual terms. But we've had a couple of lay Orthodox leaders that are coming. Can we announce them? Are we allowed to announce them? I mean, I think not yet. Yeah, I, uh, I think I think we'll just we'll just yes, yeah. we're just gonna uh, we'll, we'll, we'll awesome. do the yeah we'll They're do the awesome. tantalizing <laughs> thing and say. I was going to get into a big argument with one of that's them. That's right. I, I hope so. It'll be very fun. Um, as always, you know, in humility, we are constantly surprised by the excitement and interest yes. of the of the broader community in what we do. And that has been reflected in some of the people that have agreed to come speak at our conference. And we're very, very, very excited to share that with everyone very soon. <laughs> I can't wait myself. Yeah. Well, thank you all. Resurrecting. Constantinople, the podcast. <laughs> you didn't let me sing any show tunes. No, that's the one. Maybe thing next time. Maybe next time. Or maybe not. Um, but we Ever. will. <laughs> we will be back soon. We're gonna keep. We've got this on our calendars and, now. And so not always right. a self-indulgent right. reflection. No, of, hopefully we've been gone two we'll years. <laughs> we just needed to catch you all up on what's been happening yeah. over here. So thank you for joining us. This has been Constantinople, a podcast of the Saint Constantine School.